Welcome to this podcast, recorded live at the Junction Church, Aberdeen. We pray this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, you can connect with us at www.thejunctionchurch.com. So this is our So Loved series. You know, I have, for those of you who don't know, I have uh, four kids. So I, a lot of the time, feel very loved. Uh, Sometimes I feel very unloved uh, when they're all together against me. But, uh, but most of the time I feel very loved. And, and uh, my youngest daughter, Alice, particularly, she will just, she will tell me like 50 times a day that she loves me. She says, I love you, Daddy. And she says it all the time, walks around, gets up in the middle of the night, I love you, Daddy. Just <laughs> tells me all the time. And, and, it's, and it is, it's a beautiful thing. Sometimes, sometimes she gets angry with me, though. Sometimes she doesn't say, I love you, Daddy. What she actually says, a direct quote here, don't talk to me, you silly old man. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, like, it, it certainly stings. It stings when she says that, but it's all right, because I know that she doesn't really mean it. After all, I'm only 36. <laughs> right? She can't really mean it that much. Not old, <laughs> only 36. But fortunately, we come to a God whose, whose love is not as fickle as ours sometimes is. His, his love actually extends so far that he gave all of himself to a people who placed far greater value on personal gain than, than, than individual sacrifice. You know, they, 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 they are people that in the Old Testament would, would undergo and perform any number of ceremonies for the purposes of making sure that they were right with God such that they would get to heaven in the end. And Jesus came and he, and he came and he showed a different kind of love. He broke the mold of that kind of love because he gave a love that put value on people right now, in their life right now, and created a road to redemption that we could walk along. We're going to start in Galatians 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We were all born of sin. When you, when you break one law, you, you've broken them all. After the first time, it's, it's already spoiled. You know, the debt of man, the debt of our own lives, it doesn't accumulate. It's already infinite. It's already from day one, from, from the moment you draw breath, it is already infinite. It is already, you are born like as if your bank account is already in the red. It starts out that way. It's like, you remember that time where you pressed the red button at the nuclear power plant. And the reactor went into meltdown. 
It didn't matter how many times you pressed that button after the first time, right? It wasn't going to melt down anymore. It had already spoiled the world around it. So therefore, Christ's redemption was not to alleviate our culpability, but it was to absolve it, to take it away entirely. See, the price to settle that debt was, was a spotless, cognitant sacrifice, not just any spotless sacrifice. For years, they would, they would use uh, animals because, well, they have no conscience. You know, they have no appreciation of right or wrong. But it required more than that to pay the price of sin. It had to be a, a sacrifice that was aware of what sin was, that understood the temptation of sin and yet still remained spotless. No regular person could do that because nobody's conscience is clear. No regular person could do it. The, the, the solution was simple and yet at the same time impossible. It was like that time that Batman got stuck in a hole. Got stuck in a hole. You remember when Batman got stuck in a hole? And he looked up and it was really simple. All he had to do was climb out the hole. But it was impossible to climb out the hole. So there was no way he could do the really simple thing. And that's a bit like us. We, are, we, we in ourselves were stuck in a hole. We were stuck in the place. It was simple. Freedom was just up there. But up there was, it could have been a million miles away. It was impossible. Jesus, he lived that spotless life. And he laid it down. He lived it and he laid it. And he paved this road of redemption for us. I want you to think of it like this. That you think of all of the, the, the mistakes, all of the regrets that you have. And you, you package them all up as if they were an illegal, an illicit weapon. Something you're not supposed to have. Something that has your fingerprints all over it. It has your DNA all over it. And, and there's a warrant out for you. The law knows that a crime has been committed. And you've got it in your possession. You dare not get rid of it. You dare not throw it away in case someone finds it. And they expose you. So you hide it. And you live in fear that it will be discovered. But it's a weapon that you return to to facilitate the crimes that you're compelled to commit. It's there. You can't resist it because it's so close. And so your transgressions just increase and increase. You can never get rid of it. And then, the king gave, sent an emissary, prince of peace, wonderful counselor. He decrees an amnesty is in effect. An amnesty where that weapon, that sin can be taken and it will be destroyed. As you hand it over, it will be taken as far as the east is from the west. It will be removed from even the memory of God. That he will not hold that against you. Your account is wiped clean. That is the God who we serve. That is the quality of Jesus. In Galatians 5.24, and those who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with it, its passions and desires. Those passions, those desires, those carnal impulses are crucified. It said in that earlier in Galatians, I said that, that we were sent the Spirit of the Son. We've been sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us to maximize that freedom, to, to maximize that exchange, because we... We exchange one set of passions and priorities for another. The carnal we exchange for the righteous and holy. 
As we hand it over, the Holy Spirit ministers into our lives and shows us how we can maximize that freedom, maximize it, that it would have full effect in the world that God has born us into. I want to read to you from from John 15, verse 12. This has everything in it. So this is my command. This is Jesus speaking. This is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends. For I reveal to you everything that I have heard from my father. You didn't choose me. But I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. And your fruit will last. Because whatever you ask of my father for my sake, he will Give it to you. So this is my parting command. Love one another deeply. There's there's a lot going on in there, but there were four themes that I pulled out, four repeating themes that that I believe really sort of underpin a framework in which our faith grows. Like those sort of frameworks you you build for for, for plants to grow up. And, and, And it just gives them structure in order to become strong. Sacrifice, friendship, or or relationship, command, or another way of thinking that would be responsibility, and fruit, fruitfulness, reward. Now we we all we all see those, but but I think in our humanity, in our sort of default mode, it's very easy for us to mix these up, to approach these in a way that is not how God intended. Often, we often approach our faith as a career path. We measure off these milestones. We, we start off in this place, perceived sacrifice. We're submitting all of those vices. All of the, we'll forego all of the carnal, all of the flesh, in order to form a relationship with him. But that relationship, it has responsibilities attached to it. And it's only in fulfilling them that we are rewarded, that we find the fruit of our lives. And you know, there's a, there's a logic to that ideology. If you think a farmer, a farmer creates a crop through a process of rules and application. There are principles by which he farms, and, and hard work underpins those principles. That is not what God has called us to. That is, that, that is a doctrine that is reductive pulls everything of God's beautiful, generous nature down to the lowest common denominator. It falls so short of the glory of God. It is just another Tower of Babel masquerading as a monument of grace. It is man's obsession with achievement over blessing. The approach of man is often that of the servant rather than that of the family. See, a servant goes into the field for reward. That's why he goes in there, because he's expecting a reward. A family goes into the field 
a son and a daughter go into the field because ownership compels them to tend it. There's an inheritance attached to their efforts. Family cares when the weeds choke the new saplings. It bothers them when birds pluck seed from the ground and thin the harvest. The servant figures he's going to get recompensed anyway, regardless of what is produced. That's the difference. That's the mentality. And in Acts 8, Acts 1, verse 8, these are like the last words. As the elevator door is shutting and Jesus is about to go into heaven, these are the last words he speaks. He shouts out, he blurts out before he goes up to heaven. The last thing that the disciples hear from him. So they're important, right? Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When you have a relationship, that whole, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that is the consummation of our relationship with God. That is, that is him and us being entwined in one. And it says, once that has happened, you shall receive power. You shall receive fruit. You shall receive a reward. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You've got to understand that that everything that God is building is from a family perspective. Everything is built upon relationship. Everything starts with relationship. If we go back to to John 15, I'm just going to jump in in and out and it will come up so it will be easier to follow. Uh, In John 15, 15, I call you my most intimate friends. You didn't choose me. You didn't choose me. It started with him. It started with God. The whole thing. We didn't find him. He chose us. That's how the relationship worked. We were lost. But he found us. He commissioned us. And from that foundation, from that starting point, we see the rewards in our lives. Again in John 15, 15. I call you my most intimate friends, for I reveal, for I reveal to you, Everything I've heard from my Father. Why is it revealed to us? Why, why are the mysteries of God, the, the blessings of God, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, why are those things revealed to us? For no other reason than because we're his friends. Those things, the, the rewards, the fruitfulness of God come straight after that relationship is formed. And those rewards empower us to assume the responsibility to see his kingdom come. John 15, 14, you show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I have commanded you. See, our, we, this, the servant mentality is, it's because of our obedience we are his friends. It's because of our obedience we get to stay another night in the house. That's the servant mentality. If I do what I'm supposed to do, then I get to stay a bit longer. I get to stay employed a little bit longer. But the son and the daughter Obedience is the result of our relationship with him. It is the the fruit of our relationship with him. It is the demonstration of our relationship with him. And we take that and and the relationship, that obedience, that, that responsibility to witness of his great love, to go above and beyond to the ends of the earth 
for the lost. So this is my parting command. Love one another deeply. If it, if it didn't cost, there would be no need for surrender. There would be no need for sacrifice. It's, it's the cost that requires a sacrifice. It's the requirement for us to go outside of ourselves. You know what that is, to go outside of yourself. I want to I give to you a, a little demonstration here, a little uh, example. Now, it's pretty random, but just to kind of mix things up a little bit. So, uh, oh, no, don't put it on now. Oh, you just absolutely ruined it. Well, okay, no problem. So there's a song I heard. Uh, I heard this song a million times uh, growing up. Uh, everybody's heard of Beyonce, right? Everybody knows who Beyonce is. Everybody knows that she was in a band or, or, or a group before she was Beyonce called Destiny's Child. And they had lots of songs, and they were very secular, and they were, uh, you know, they were on the radio all the time. Uh, and I had heard one of these songs. I was driving like a month ago, and it came on the radio, and I heard the bridge. And there was a part in the bridge that had always kind of arced me. I'm going to play it in just a second. I want you to listen. Actually, just play it right now. That's probably best. 20 seconds. Apologies for the spelling. Right now, you're thinking, what on earth, right? So there's a line in there, right? There's a line in there that's always kind of, when I heard it this time in the car, something clicked that had been unclicked for a long time. And, and something that didn't, it arced me, right? So there's a, so there's a line in there. We all, we all know the, we all heard a line in there, the Christianity line, right? And I'll be honest with you, that line always bothered me for some reason. And I didn't know why it bothered me. Does anyone, anyone want to venture a guess as to what it was that was bothering me? Anyone? It's not deep, honestly. It's very undeep. You know what it is? It doesn't fit. There's too many syllables. <laughs> it is crammed in there. It is, it, is a, it is a line that doesn't fit within the song. It's ill-fitting. Now, if you think about it, a song of this nature is purely a vehicle to showcase the singing talents of, of the performer, right? That's the, entirely the purpose of it. There's no deep meaning to it. This is a secular song. And yet that line, it's like a speed reading contest. Like it's, it's just they're cramming those words in there as quickly as they possibly can. Which means, as I listened to it, it occurred to me, well, if it must be important that they got that line in there. It is a line that talks of Christianity, that talks about faith. It's, it's, it's a line that, that talks of a value in their life. And to me, I listened to it, and I was like, you know what? That, that line is shoehorned in there in exactly the same way that I try and shoehorn Jesus into my conversations with people. It's almost like when you, when you bring Jesus up in a conversation, it's almost like you have too many words for the amount of time you're supposed to have in the conversation. It, my words, when I speak them, it, it disrupts the rhythm of conversation. It, 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 it sticks out and it sounds clunky, right? You know what I mean, right? Good, we're all here, good. How often do we look for that 
perfect segue to reveal our faith. And how seldom is it there? And even if there are sometimes occasions, there is nowhere near enough natural transitions to see the balance shift in this city to see enough people get saved that it will form that revival that we need to see in this city, to see this city one for Jesus. There aren't enough natural transitions into that, if any at all. And in fact, a line of that nature, the introduction of faith into a conversation, what if I said to you, it, it always sounds clunky. What if I said that wasn't a bad thing? What if it is a jolt to the mundane topics of conversation we usually indulge in? That's, that's what we usually do. We have mundane conversations. That's cool. I have mundane conversations all the time. 99% of my conversations are mundane. That makes the 1% stick out. People don't want to discuss faith. Particularly if they're not going through something or don't think they're going through something. We are tasked with shaking them from their apathy. That is what a word like that does. See, we often find ourselves hiding behind relevance as if it's some sort of excuse. But we are called to be trendsetters, not to settle for what is trending. That's Instagram there. That's Instagram right there. This is my live tweets going on in the background. Not even a CN. Just, it looks much better. It's the only number of letters I could put behind my name. Jesus. Jesus calls us to surrender our pursuits of a comfortable life for his. I ask you, well, how does that look? How does that look? But do you remember that time that Jesus stood trial in front of the Sanhedrin? That was pretty awkward, right? Let me read to you from Mark 14. The high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus took a small pause and considered what he was about to say and what the consequences would be for what he was about to say. And said, I am. And he thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. And said... And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked and breathed a sigh of relief because all the witnesses that had been before were horrendous and had indicted his own sort of corruption far more than corroborated any sort of accusation against Jesus. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. The guards took him and beat him. How much easier would it have been for Jesus to have read the room and being like, well, this clearly isn't my audience. When Jesus spoke, it must have felt like so many words. Even just I am. It must have felt like he pushed each of those words up a hill. Every single one of those words was a sacrifice. Every single one of those words counted for something because they were so heavy. They had so much weight. And yet, he still answered, I am. He endured it. 
He endured it for me. Endured it for when I was lost and despairing. He, he did it for when my life was cloaked in rags of sin. He, he did it for when I compounded one mistake after another in a spiral that just, just led me to guilt and regret. He sacrificed and he didn't give up on the idea that, he didn't give in to the idea that these are my people. These aren't my people. Because he knew that they could be. He knew that they could be. Go back to John 15 again. Jesus said, so this is my command. Love each other deeply. As much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. And I know the same worry, the same fear that you all have, because the same worry and fear that I have. It's that when you open your mouth and you say those words and you tell people what Jesus means to your life, that they will laugh at you. And they will ridicule you and they will make you feel small. And so that's why we, f- we fray away from that. When I have those thoughts, I remember the time when it was my jeers from the crowd, when it was my words that mocked him, when it was my hands that struck and beat him, when it was my sin that held him and nailed him to that cross. And yet he still sacrificed all so that my failures could be undone to create my redemption. Great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends, like he did for me. That's why he planted us in a secure relationship. That's why he empowered us to persevere and instilled within us an unwavering purpose so that we could face sacrifice and not back down. Thanks for joining with us. For more information about events, service times and how to connect with us, visit www.thejunctionchurch.com.